0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every
1: day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. As always, I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And I am excited to bring yet another show to you today. Unfortunately, it is a fairly slow news day, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about draft theory, especially in how uh, the draft tends to behave very weirdly when teams don't necessarily want to take the player that is directly in front of them. And I'll get more into that very cryptic sentence in a minute. But first... I gotta remind you that you can find this show on Himalaya, the new podcasting app, as well as anywhere else you like to find your podcasts, and if you don't like scrolling through podcast apps, you can always ask your smart device, hey, play podcast Locked On Vikings. So, other than Adam Thielen's big old extension, the main headline of the week is that, hey, all the players have returned to off-season workouts. They're doing a lot of stuff that's not really worth monitoring, you know, it's all just kind of walkthroughs and drills and just kind of, you know, keeping in shape, but it is a bit of a monumentous occasion because it brings everybody back into one building, and it means we get press conferences with the players again. We get media availability, so a bunch of players can come in and answer all the burning questions we've had for them all offseason, especially those who went through contract negotiations like Adam Thielen or those who were privy and in proximity to those things like, you know, Harrison Smith and Eric Kendricks. And so on Tuesday, they all went and answered a bunch of questions from the media. I will uh, spare you the homework of watching all of them because... By and large, not a lot of substance gets said in these things. This is, honestly, this is peak lying season. You know, you get questions to Harrison Smith about if he watches the draft and he seemed like halfway interested in even paying attention except for figuring out who the Vikings pick. Uh, And, you know, you get random questions about, oh, what, you know, how are you doing in your second year? And then you get the boilerplate answer. And there's a lot of kind of, you know, generic, I call them platitudes that don't really mean anything. You know, you ask, how's the playbook in your second year, Kirk Cousins? And he says better. And you don't really get anything that you didn't already know out of that. However, there were a couple of moments that I think are worth pointing out. Both uh, Harrison Smith and Eric Kendricks got a little emotional when they were talking about Anthony Barr and how, you know, the whole roller coaster of what happened in the offseason. if you're a fan of the team and you were emotionally invested in that, and I know I was. I definitely woke up the next morning after thinking that Anthony Barr was going to the Jets kind of down. I'm going to miss the guy. And then, you know, later in that day when the plot twist happened and it turned out he was coming, I was ecstatic. I was grinning ear to ear. And I'm just a fan. And, I you know, I've never shaken the guy's hand. Imagine being, you know, Eric Kendricks, who the guy's best friend, roommate at UCLA, or, you know, Harrison Smith, who's worked with him now for like five years. You know, imagine being those guys and how emotional that process would be. And Harrison Smith, a usually very stoic person who does not emote a lot, a person who is very even keel, got a little choked up talking about it. I, I'll, I'll link that moment of the show notes if you haven't seen it already. If you haven't, watch it. It'll make you feel happy inside just how much our favorite team loves each other. And that kind of culture is a big deal. And I, I think it was definitely a non-zero factor in Anthony Barr deciding to come back for less money. The other moment that I guess is worth talking about, it's not worth talking about, but it's getting talked about, so I I guess I'll bring it up, is uh, Kirk Cousins posted a picture of this, like, huge playbook, and he was like, all right, time to dive in, and it's just this giant tome. And somebody asked him, you know, oh, how are you going to even begin to go into this? And it's a new scheme, you know, with new offensive staff. And Kevin Stefanski is technically a new offensive coordinator and all the new people coming in. So they've got this new offensive playbook to learn. Everybody's got a lot to learn. And he says, ah, you know, like you eat an elephant one bite at a time. And that's a really weird thing to say, Kirk. However, it is not... Because, and I'm I'm absolutely shocked to see how many people haven't heard of that children's book. It is a children's book about how to eat an elephant, and the whole moral of the story is just, you know, take one step forward and keep your head in front of you, and eventually you'll get through monumental tasks. It's a very cute little lesson. I'm going to link an Amazon link in the description so that you people can educate yourselves and your children I'm, I'm not even somebody who usually stands up for Kirk Cousins' goofy personality. He's a really weird guy, and I think it's funny to, like, make fun of him. So I make fun of him on Twitter all the time. But this one ain't it. He was citing a very reasonable thing. And the other thing I just want to get out in front of is that the schedule, probably as you're listening to this or shortly after you listen to this, has been released. But right now, we already know the opponents. We know that the Vikings are traveling to Seattle. We know Atlanta is coming to U.S. Bank Stadium. We know Philadelphia is coming to U.S. Bank Stadium. You know, and we know, like, which... Uh, home and road opponents we have we just don't know the when we don't know what order they're coming in and we don't know like when the primetime games are and stuff so when all that comes I will break it down but breaking down strength of schedule is something you know we've known the opponents since week 17 last year but in that moment we you know kind of had some other stuff to discuss so you know when we do get around to discussing it. You know, tomorrow will be a really nice opportunity to discuss strength of schedule and stuff and how it is a little bit of a lie most of the time because, you know, with a 16 game season, one or two games can mean all the di I mean, there's a huge difference between an eight and eight squad and a 10 and six squad, right? That's only two games. So, you know, Strengths of Schedule can lie to you a lot and you have to navigate it very carefully if you want to discern the information you usually want to discern from strength of Schedule, with, which is, are we playing a lot of hard teams and is that going to make our record be worse? But that'll all be a conversation for tomorrow when we actually have the official schedule and we're not just going off of some unverified Twitter account that says that it's leaking all the games. So in the meantime, we'll talk a little bit more about draft previewing with the prospect of the day and a little bit more uh, like draft philosophy slash analysis nonsense. A lot of this is just laying foundation for what I'm going to be saying after the draft you know, and kind of getting to know my philosophies and the way that I tend to like analyze these situations and the methods that I use so that when I do have an opinion, it's clearly not coming out of nowhere. So just, you know, kind of showing my work. So I'll get to that again. That's I'm being like really weirdly cryptic about this, Uh, but I will come back after the ad break and it'll all make sense by the end of the show. See you guys in a minute. Okay, welcome back. So let's talk about today's prospect of the day. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty and keep talking about the draft. Again, we're running out of uh, episodes before the draft. We only have four, six more prospects of the day, including this one. Uh, and so it's time to kind of start focusing on some of the guys that are more prominent that I may have left behind. And so I'm going to save some of the really big names for the week leading up to the draft because I think there are going to be some listeners that like start tuning in then in preparation. Um, so I, I'm going to talk today about offensive tackle from Florida, Taylor. Uh, he is very prominent, so much so that he almost never gets mocked to the Vikings because he's always gone by then, which is why I haven't really talked about him on this show very much. I just don't think it's very realistic that he'll be a member of the Minnesota Vikings because it seems like in every mock I see, and every big board I see, he's going to be gone within the top 10, and with very good reason. He's 6'5", He's just this huge dude. And he has very natural instincts. He has a few technique things, and I think some people do see him as a little bit too raw... And so, you know, they're completely out on him altogether as a first-round prospect. But I think those people are few and far between. And by and large, everybody agrees this guy is just good and getting better and probably will be very good for years to come. But the Vikings at 18, I mean, this is the guy that, like, the Giants will take at pick six. And it would be seen as probably a good value pick. So if he were to fall to the Vikings, you know, this—it would be a no-brainer. Sprint to the podium and, and never look back but that's not really going to be how things work. But still in that event, I mean, he is one of the like top shelf offensive linemen and maybe just because he's been so hyped for so long. Sometimes it happens where his draft stock kind of falls and the narrative around him kind of falls and, and people kind of almost get bored and guys can, you know, suddenly fall. I remember uh, thinking about like Joey Bosa, who was really seen as a number one overall pick for so long and, and, Draft people like analysts and stuff got way too low on him. They started putting him, you know, outside of the top ten and stuff, uh, and he ended up going third overall to the Chargers. But like from first to third is still like a reasonable slip. and That's really the only hope we have of Jaylon Jaylon Taylor slipping. It's not going to happen. I would be pretty confident in telling you that. Like I'd be very surprised if Jaylon Taylor fell to eighteen, and I'd be even more surprised if the Vikings didn't take him there because he does fit the zone. He has all that athleticism stuff. He tested well, but diving in more. More specifically with Taylor, what I really like to see, and it's all over his tape, is when guys can pull out, and this is something that Florida would have him do, they would have him pull out on, like, a stretch play or something, you know, and get out into the open field and, like, have to showcase that mobility, and that's 6'5", 328, moving, if you watch his tape, it is moving faster than 6'5", and 328 should ever move. And with some level of accuracy, you know, we talked a lot about when with the free agent offensive line that the Vikings have brought in like the backups, you know, the guys that can't climb to the second level, like uh, Brett Jones and Tyler Shatley had a problem with this and Josh Klein kind of has an issue with this. It's where, you know, they're very big and they can get out and they can, you know, show some testable athleticism where they can run a three cone when they know exactly where they're supposed to go, but when somebody, like, cuts back across their face or, like, forces them to change direction very quickly, it's just really hard to stop all that weight and get it moving in a different way. So they can kind of get caught on their heels and then, you know, you end up whiffing a block and you ruin the play. Jawan Taylor has, I guess I'd call it an accuracy with his body that is... Really uncharacteristic of somebody in his size. Now again, he has some technique issues. He, I think this is Kyle Krabs at the Draft Network wrote an article. I will link it in the show notes. Uh, talked about how he fires his hands out too low, and that means that he can he can like concede his chest because he just he gets his hands up too low, and and if your hands are too low somebody can just put their hands right above you and the whole hand fight is over they have your chest and then it doesn't matter if you're bigger or stronger than them you know they've got leverage and they're gonna win uh that is something that is pretty correctable and you know if we talk about like the right kind or the wrong kind of raw that's the right kind of raw the wrong kind of raw would be somebody who instinctually can't like accurately run out in space and he can do that that's like a natural innate ability that's very hard to teach i mean you could probably work on someone's fundamentals over a lot of time but that's kind of something you want prospects to have right when they show up to camp, not something that you have to teach them. But, hey, you know, punch your hands a little higher. That's something that you can absolutely work on. You can do drills. You can really get in them about it and, and fix that. And the fact that he's on an upward trajectory, he was kind of quiet early on at Florida and he really came on his senior year in a sustainable way that is going to make him, you know, a really, really good prospect. So this is a pretty glowing review. And obviously he's a top 10 guy. Uh, this is again, a guy that probably doesn't go to the Vikings. However, you know, if the giants are taking him, that means that they're not taking Jonah Williams or Andre Dillard or any of the other guys that we've talked about and, and really, really want. And honestly, the draft does not behave the way that you think it should. And this will kind of smoothly transition into the next thing. But, you know, sometimes guys fall. And they fall for really dumb reasons that nobody ever saw coming. You know, like the, like somebody didn't like them in their interview or something like that. And they fall way lower than they should. There's one or two of these guys every single year. And the reason is that we usually look at players, you know, when we'll, we'll say about 20 different players, oh, they're never going to fall out of the top 15. Well, somebody has to, there's only 15 and, you know, and then we'll say about, you know, 50 players who I don't see any of these guys falling out of the top 40. And there's going to be those players. So somebody is going to surprise us. Somebody's going to be drafted too early, and that's going to bump somebody down below where they should be. You know, last year it was like Dayron Payne was kind of like that, and years past like Leonard Williams fell too far. There got you know quarterbacks have fallen too far, like famously Aaron Rodgers or like you know Brady Quinn fell way further than he was supposed to. Although the league ended up being kind of right on that one. Even, you know, Quentin Nelson, who was number one on a lot of big boards because they, you know, wouldn't adjust for positional importance. They would just say this guy is the best at his thing. He fell all the way to six. People took, you know, Bradley Chubb over him or, or quarterbacks that maybe are never going to be as good at quarterback as Quentin Nelson already is at guard over Quentin Nelson. And that's something that, you know, there's a lot of complexities to the draft and people might fall. So I figured it was worth bringing up Jawan Taylor on the off chance that he is this year's victim of a precipitous fall to pick 18. It it would be uh, honestly the like dream, pipe dream, holy crap scenario that would just change the like face of the draft for a lot of years to come. It would be pretty awesome. So before I move on to the more cryptic and weird thing that I'm going to talk about... Uh this episode I do want to talk a little bit about the Himalaya app real fast. It is a new podcasting app that can help you sift through all the crazy volume of podcasts out there. There's just so many shows from NFL shows to Viking specific shows to other interests you might have like cooking or true crime or whatever. Himalaya curates playlists for you and they have new features every day that can help you sort through that crazy complex world. Just go to Himalaya, download it on the App Store. Subscribe to Lockdown on Vikings and whatever else you listen to on it and see if you like it. If not, you can always go back to the other things, but it can't hurt to give it a try. All right, let's stop screwing around and let's get to the main topic of the episode, which, as you saw in the title, I don't know why I was being so mysterious about it all episode, uh, but it's the draft as an auction. The draft is an auction. It is much like Free Agency, and we had this same episode with Free Agency, where the principles of an auction market shine through. The idea that, you know, the price of a thing is set by the person who wants it the most, or the team who wants it the most. In Free Agency, that's really easy to see. You know, whoever is willing to give Anthony Barr, for example, the best deal, is the person who gets Anthony Barr. Now, the Vikings had a leg up on this because part of their deal they could offer is this environment with all of his friends, and the Jets couldn't match that. They had to, you know, beat Anthony's Barr, Anthony Barr's deal from the Vikings by a certain dollar amount, and then the Vikings came up close enough to make it so that all of that friendship and good culture and all that was the difference. So in the draft, it's a little different in that the player doesn't get any say, so they're not the ones choosing how high a price is or what factors go into it. And in the draft, it's a lot simpler. It's whoever's willing to spend the highest pick on somebody gets that somebody. And the weird dynamic of this is that you don't really have exact change and that you only get to spend your draft capital in predetermined chunks of size. The Vikings, most of their draft capital, especially if you use those trade charts and like really break it out uh, and, and like assign value to each of their picks, most of their draft capital exists in their 18th pick. And while they may have evaluations on multiple players that are worth that 18th overall pick... And they probably do. They always do, right? Every team always has, you know, I would take this player, I'd take that player, I would take that player. They only get to use it on one of those players. So it's whoever you're highest on of the players on which you are the highest in the league, which is a weirdly confusing sentence. But I wanted to bring this up because this is kind of like this weird dynamic can explain a lot of the weird things that happen in the draft. You know, there are some situations that are just bizarre, like Laramie Tunsil having some like disgruntled former person like posting a video of him smoking weed out of a gas mask, and he falls from the number one overall pick to number 13. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about falls of guys like Malik Hooker or Deron Payne, guys that should have been, you know, top shelf, top 10 picks that fell way out of it. And I think both of those guys ended up being picked 18th. uh, If I recall, I could be wrong about that. Um, Weird coincidence. But the point is, those are guys that should not have been picked that late. And they fell for reasons that had nothing to do with an off-field issue or nothing to do with, you know, on-field production. It just happened to be that the teams that wanted safeties the most or the teams that want a defensive lineman the most either went a different direction because of scheme fit or decided, yeah, I want a safety, but I also want this wide receiver. So I'm going to take, you know, John Ross instead. And that happens over and over and over again. And before you know it, you're in the middle of the first round going, am I going to even get drafted tonight? So on the idea of exact change, one thing I want to talk about is Trades Down. And the, a lot of the purpose of Trades Down is to get your change back. You know, if you are picking at 18th and say the Vikings want to pick Garrett Bradbury at 18th, but they have him 20th on their board, which means uh, you're reaching just a little bit. You're reaching two picks, but an important two picks. There's a pretty strong difference in value between the 18th and the 20th pick, and you want to recuperate that value before you take Garrett Bradbury. So you are going to trade with the Pittsburgh Steelers for their 20th pick, and they'll give you whatever that's worth. I'm not going to look it up. A fourth or a fifth or whatever it ends up being worth to move like that. So you are essentially accepting now... If you do go and, you know, get Garrett Bradbury anyways, and this all works out like you think it should, and Carolina doesn't, like, screw you on the back end of it, uh, you get the 20th pick in Garrett Bradbury plus the difference between the 18th and 20th pick, assuming you made a fair trade, right? Whatever you deem to be the difference between 18 and 20, Pittsburgh gives you that to make it up, and you get, like, your Garrett Bradbury, and you get your change back. Or, if you don't want to take that risk, you just pick him at 18 and you say, keep the change, and you make a slightly value-adjusted downward play, which isn't great, but hey, maybe if you think Garrett Bradbury is okay and worth it and you don't want to risk it, maybe you're okay with taking that, that small hidden value because it's a worse hidden value to take the risk of Carolina you know, swooping in and taking him if you decided to trade down two picks. This is simply like a way of reconciling the idea that you don't have exact change, but it's still the person who is, you know, most willing to spend capital on Garrett Bradbury gets Garrett Bradbury, right? In the event that the Vikings trade down with the Steelers because they aren't willing to spend the 18th pick, but they are willing to spend the 20th pick, but the Panthers are willing to spend the 19th pick on Garrett Bradbury, well, then the Panthers get Garrett Bradbury. So to get Garrett Bradbury, you have to be willing to spend specifically the 18th pick on him. And that's a nice example that works out very cleanly, however, it doesn't always work out that cleanly, and sometimes you just have to take, like, negative value, de- or not negative value, but imperfect value deals to get the players that you want. You know, I talked about this at the beginning of the week with Chris Lindstrom. That's, an, that's not a perfect value deal. He is not good enough to be worth the 18th overall pick, but... For your first rounder, a guy who comes in, fills a need, and can start immediately is great for your first rounder. So even though he's not the 18th best player in the league, it doesn't really matter because he still fills what you typically expect to get out of your first round pick. It is an imperfect value deal, but it is not a negative value deal, meaning it's still a draft pick that would be completely fine and okay. You can also kind of help this with, like, parsing the draft through who you're bidding against. And this is something, an exercise we all do pretty naturally, but using economics to define it can still be helpful and help us get less confused when we get into it. But if you think about it, the Vikings are not competing with every team for offensive linemen. You know, the Browns have a pretty solidly locked away offensive line. We might not be competing with them for linemen very much. We might not be competing with a team like, say, Dallas for offensive linemen. Or a team like Indianapolis for offensive linemen. They had a great offensive line last year. So they might not be as much in the market for players like Jonah Williams or Cody Ford as the Vikings are, and and that matters a lot. Now, the Vikings are probably in competition with the Giants for an offensive lineman, and they pick twice in front of the Vikings, so that only increases the likelihood that one of those guys is going to be a lineman, and so we can kind of pencil in that whoever your favorite guy is is going to be gone because the Giants are going to take him. But the biggest defining factor of an an auction market is that there are bids and that they are competitive. We're like most markets... Where, you know, if you think about just from an economics perspective, most markets, like the market for apples, is I want an apple, you have an apple, how much should I give you for that apple? But that's not the only apple, you know, if I buy an apple, the person behind me can still also buy an apple in most cases, so the price doesn't really matter, like it doesn't matter what the person behind me wants to pay, it's a matter of what I want to pay, that's what's going to affect the like supply and demand, and that's like kind of what defines the market. Or more accurately, it's what everybody wants to pay because I'm going to buy an apple and then the person behind me is going to buy an apple. And if the price is too high and one of us doesn't want to buy an apple anymore, that's bad for the person selling apples. So they'll set the price at something that everybody can agree on is fair. At least that's the way it's supposed to like reach that really nice equilibrium. But in an auction market, for one, I don't know what the person behind me is willing to pay for an apple or what the person behind me is willing to spend on Garrett Bradbury in this particular example. And for two, only one of us gets that Apple or Garrett Bradbury. We don't, there are not two Garrett Bradburys to go around. So that's another kind of similarity that the draft has with an auction market. I'll admit the first time I saw this idea was Arif Hassan talking about it. And the more I thought about it and the more I looked into it, the more the parallel makes a whole bunch of sense. So original credit to him. Uh, But I did want to talk about how auction markets can help us define the draft, predict the draft, kind of like navigate the draft rather than, you know, really seeing every decision in the draft as, ooh, they thought this guy was better than this guy because that's not really the case. You know, if you are auctioning something and you spend all your money on one painting, then a better painting comes along that you wish you had. Well, you didn't know that at the time. And so, you didn't make a declaration that the first painting was better than the second painting. You made the decision you thought was right at the time. And maybe you should have been a little more responsible with your money, but this, I think, like, parallels well to the whole Mike Hughes-Will Hernandez thing, right? Where they, at the time, were working on an assumption that one of the good guards in the second round would fall to the end of the second round. And then when that didn't happen, they were kind of bamboozled, and they ended up going with Brian O'Neill, who was supposed to be a little bit more of a project. And the fact that Brian O'Neill worked out better than I think anybody anticipated, including the Vikings. Even you know when they came out of that pick, they they said like, yeah, this is kind of a sketchy one, and we're not really sure. Or you know, they at least acknowledged that yeah, he's going to be a project, and and we uh, we like what he can develop into, and this is a pick for the future. And they were talking about all that stuff, Um, even though it, it worked out better than how we thought it would. That doesn't take away from the fact that taking my cues instead of a guard was a decision made with those same like unknowns in mind. So there's, I could talk about this for like an hour, but I am going to wrap up this show right here. So thank you all so much for listening. Uh, We will talk about the schedule all day tomorrow and we'll finish doing all the draft stuff for the week. That'll be the last show for the week. And then we'll start our big long draft marathon. So until next time, I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter At Locked On Vikings. You can find the show on Himalayan, any of of your other favorite podcast apps, or you can just ask your smart device to play a podcast, Locked On Vikings. And as always, skull.
0: Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co host Joe Booley and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Lockdown Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Lockdown Wild to your device every day.